Enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. The Temple of Geek Podcast is a celebration of fandoms and fandom communities. We've been around since 2012, and our podcast is hosted by a variety of geeky people from all aspects of fandom. My name is Monica. I'm going to be your host today, and I am joined by Cynthia Boris, who is here to tell us about how she has been able to make a career out of being a fangirl. Hello, Cynthia, and welcome to the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. And um, I am Cynthia Boris, and I did somehow manage to turn my fandom into a living. Can you believe that? <laughs> I still so can. cool. <laughs> I still can. Um, I and it. I guess what's funny that people, so I've like been a fangirl forever. <clears throat> I've always been into television, like as long as I can remember. I, it's crazy how far back my love of TV goes. Um, and I've also always kind of been a writer. But I honestly thought that my path to television, to becoming, you know, being a part of it all was going to be as an actress. Um, jump ahead to the story, that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> however, I did end up uh, becoming an entertainment reporter. And um, I'm mostly known for my work with two kind of related licenses, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Supernatural. And I'm the author of a book on each of those subjects. And now I'm writing fiction about fandom. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of all coming together. This is really exciting. And I like I feel like I want to talk about everything right away. But um, <laughs> what I want to do first is kind of find out from you, what is your fandom origin story? You said you've been into TV for a long time. When and how did your journey into becoming a fangirl begin? Well, I feel like there's a, a, a spot where you kind of say that was that was the moment. I have always been a collector of things. I think I inherited that from my father, who was a big um, like garage sailor thrifter, and he would give us money every week to go and find cool things. And so I would collect anything television. I was so excited to have um, tie-in things. And I had posters all over my walls. And I'll give away my age a little bit to say that I had Hardy Boys and Battlestar Galactica posters um, at the height of my probably earliest fandoms all over my walls. And um, I guess where I feel like it really kicked in was when I was in junior high, I started writing fanfic. And I don't even know how that came about. I just remember the first time I read wrote a story and someone else read it and they were like, this is great. Give me more. I went, I was like, Oh, this is cool. <laughs> this I can wow. do this. And um, yeah. And I kind of have been writing ever since in, you know, I've taken breaks in between different fandoms, but I feel like that was the big part of it. And then from there, this was pre-internet. So it really sort of was more about fanzines and rare conventions, maybe only once or twice a year, getting together with people on a convention. Uh, it was a lot harder to, um, you know, meet other fans. So having those connections through fanfic and, and readers and writers and then and articles, I started writing a lot about shows I really enjoyed. Uh, it was, yeah, it was just a really great way to connect with people about something I really loved and for a long time didn't realize that, yeah, that there were others like me <laughs> out there. Yeah. Um, so what fandoms would you say that you're most invested in? And has that changed over time for you? Um, it has. I am one of those people that has a really hard time, I hate admitting it, 
maintaining fandom when the show goes off the air. I'm good for a little bit, but if I don't have new input, and I think that's the writer in me that like I need that those constant sparks to go, ooh, this and ooh, that. So as shows have gone off the air, I've, I've transitioned. And there's nothing worse than being between fandoms. Oh, it's a horrible place to be. You think it's never going to happen again. Um, but Buffy was, again, um, probably one of the biggest ones for me. I wrote so much in that fandom. And from the first beat of that show, the first scene I knew this was going to be my jam I was so hooked and um, it's probably the first fandom where I really went out and met people and did things in groups and I was part of the big Buffy posting board and parties back then and and then that led into which we'll get to my first big writing experience and the dream of my life Um, (laughs) so Buffy and then Supernatural kind of filled that space and also became like the second one that I was so invested in um tons again of fanfic tons of conventions and just being a part of that supernatural family and now it's crazy my current crazy fandom which most people don't even know what it is is project blue book which is um on history channel aiden gillen and michael malarkey who people know from game of thrones and vampire diaries and it is bromancy beautiful and i love it and i had not written fanfic in probably years until that show came along last year and I can't stop just and if, if you could really quick just kind of for our audience that's not familiar with fanfic can you explain a little bit of what fanfic is sure um so fanfic in general obviously is writing based on the characters that you see on a show or a movie or a book you can write fanfic really about anything um so it's kind of in my mind it's like taking it to the next step where for whatever reason they can't or don't on a show um expanding those characters spending more time with them you know especially these days so many shows are only like 10 11 episodes blue books like that and just having that ability to expand that world and take these characters on new adventures and just to keep it alive from week to week um is to me what fanfic is about, both as a writer and a reader. I, I really enjoy both ends of that because I love seeing how people take the characters I already know and love, but even sometimes put them in really crazy, wild AU situations, completely different alternate universes, but you still like you still see the character. And it's so exciting to just have that extra oomph on these, these characters that you know and love so much. Yeah, no, absolutely. That sounds amazing. Um, and you're, you're super enthusiastic about it and I love it, the sound of it in your voice. Why has uh, fandom been so important to you? What makes you so enthusiastic about it? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, I think overall, what I find really funny when I look back over the various fandoms I've been a part of is the friendships and the people that I have met that have hung on long before, long after that fandom was gone. Um, my best friends in life, going way back to those junior high days, you know, that where we shared fanfic. But even later, there are sort of tent poles I can see where I met someone through fandom who has become, you know, a best friend. And my, my best friend, Kathy, in Australia, we talk a couple of nights a week. I'm in California. She's in Australia. And we met over Supernatural. And 
and since then, because Supernatural's been on forever, um, she's come <laughs> here to the United States. We've we've met, we've hung out, we have expanded again beyond that fan friendship into. I don't know what you'd call it, but what anybody else would call it, like a typical friendship, even though we're so many thousands of miles away. And, I absolutely yeah. get that. I feel I feel that way in the Doctor Who community, where mm-hmm. I've been able to meet friends from you know Australia and like the UK mm-hmm. and different places where I would have never met them before had it not been for this one shared love of this fandom, and even like the people that I've met here locally, our friendships have grown from just you know being really excited or enthusiastic about one particular you know tv show and now it's like we are part of one another's lives and it's it's really a beautiful thing it is and what's funny is it defies um age and and location obviously um the the current fandom that i'm in has a lot of people who i'm old enough to be their mother uh and maybe older than (laughs) i hate to even say i might be older but i am and it's but, you know, it that's not a thing when we're in there talking about the show and talking about the plot points and, oh, my gosh, I think this is going to happen in that. We just have this common ground. and Absolutely. Yeah. And the world needs that. More of that. I'm not kidding. The world needs more fandom common ground <laughs> across the board. I think the world needs something where you can be unapologetically yourself and you don't have to, like, hide it from it, somebody or you can just be respected for for your enthusiasm because so many times I feel like we have to kind of like hide that part of us Mm. because it's, you know, maybe it's tolerated among family and friends, but it's, it could, there is like a kind of like a, a hint of shame to it. And so when you find somebody who just, you know, sees you for who you are and accepts you that way, it's, it's a really great feeling. It makes fandom really, really great. Well, and I do want to say on that respect, I am so amazed by how often you do see in fandom people who express how out of place they feel in life, um, who feel very lonely, who feel like there's people that just don't understand them. And and maybe it's because, you know, they're not the norm for wherever they live. And I feel like most of the time, again, there's always exceptions. There's always some, you know, crazy bad people in the world. But in general, fandoms just are really accepting of Whatever it is you're bringing to the table, who, however you identify yourself, age, size, whatever, whatever issues you have, yeah, we're we're open. We're ready to you, for you to come on board and bring that in. And tying it back to fanfic, I think that's what a, it works for a lot of people is it's a way of expressing things they can't say any other way, but they yeah, can put absolutely. it in the mouths of their characters and, and make that point. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it's so true. So um, a little bit about your career. Um, how did you get started? Tell us like where where it all kicked off. Well, this is actually a really um, strange series of events. If one ever believes in manifesting and all those things. I, like I said, thought I was going to be an actress. I went to acting school and in New York and I lived in New Jersey all my life. I went to acting school and my acting teacher said, as an actress, you would be a really good teacher. <laughs> so uh, they kicked me out of acting school. Yes, really. And what? I went. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> and, and I was crushed, you know, as you would be. Um, and so I went to college to become a teacher because that just seemed like everybody thought that was a good idea. 
And I did that for a long time. I lived in New Jersey and I spent the first half of, I guess you'd say, my adult life, you know, um, working little theater in town and, and doing this and constantly, you know, fangirling and going to cons and all these things. And I lived every year for the two weeks I would take and fly to California and visit the locations where my favorite shows are being filmed and go to Universal and all of that. So it was kind of a crazy, you know, it was like I spent my life doing the what you got to do to get through, but I really wanted to be somewhere else. And um, credit for everything went to my fiance, who called me up one day and said he was seeing someone else. Um, oh, so goodness, up. you're not having a good run. This already sounds sad. <laughs> right. So breakup time. Uh, I was like, wow, really? Okay. So I hung up the phone and said, now I have nothing else keeping me here. I might as well just go. And so I decided right then and there to pack up my life and move to California and become an entertainment reporter. I decided I'm just going to go tell everybody this is what I am. And I moved. <laughs> 3, wow, miles. you are so brave and good for I, you. Get it, girl. You're it like crazy. It was pre-internet, which was made it kind of harder, you know, in some ways. And um I just, I just felt like I had to just, why not, you know, just give this a shot. And when I got here, literally in the first week I was here, just fate put an actor of an old TV show, you probably would know, it's called Land of the Giants. It was a science fiction show from the 60s. And one of the stars, it had been re-airing recently on television uh, in syndication. And one of the stars of the show just like fell in my lap. It was just a coincidence upon coincidence. And next thing I knew, I was on the phone with him. And I suddenly had to be the reporter I said I was. And was like, yes, I'm going to do this. And he was my first, technically my first interview with an actor that I sold um, to a magazine. And then I was like, it was like the day when people read my fanfic. It was like, oh, I can do, I can actually interview people I love and get paid for it. Um, what an amazing so, day, right? <laughs> yeah. And that was just, that was the start. And I think the height, oh, easily the height of it was I had always dreamed about like, you know, being on the set of my favorite show and watching them film. And after a lot of, you know, little steps here and steps there, one day I was on the set of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, which was my favorite show at the time. I was working for Buffy magazine officially. And when I walked on set, the actors treated me like I was so special. They were like, we're so excited that you're here to cover the show. What can we do for you? Anthony Stewart Head, who played Giles in the show, gave me a personal tour of the set. And I spent the evening well into the night just sitting in the soundstage watching them film and I didn't want it to end. It was it was just like, this is what I had always dreamed of doing. And it happened and it was there. And, you know, it took a few steps to get there, but I got there. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, as and, and you talk about like, you know, uh, this was your favorite show that you were working on. So um, what was it challenging being a fangirl and working on a show that you love so much? Um, it was because not being a fangirl when I was at work was the challenging part. Um, I think I feel like things have lightened up some. But at the time, 
being a fan of the show you were covering was not a thing. Like it was frowned upon um, to the point, And I didn't, I don't think I knew this so much. I remember one day uh, the Buffy crew, somebody on the Buffy uh, cast was talking to me about an episode and I, you know, was excited. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, that was this episode and that happened. And they were so surprised that I knew the show and said that normally reporters have not watched it. They don't care. They're just doing their job. And they were so excited and surprised that somebody actually knew about their work. Um, and that's kind of where I started to realize that it wasn't common to be a fan of whatever it was you were covering. Um, so I had to kind of keep that a little bit, you know, cause it's like, once they start to feel like you're a fan, there's all that strange baggage that, which you would think the entertainment industry would know better, but there's that strange baggage that comes with, well, you're a fan. You can't be a professional writer. If you're a fan, that's weird, you know? And that's um, so interesting because um, I hear that a lot where people who work in the industry and you and I are both in California. And so, you know, we come across different like industry types, obviously. Yeah. And anytime that I've had somebody who works for like a, a particular franchise or property, They've had to hide their fandom, even yeah, though they're they're working strange. their dream jobs. They 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 hustled and they toiled to get to this spot, and they can't even say that this is what inspired them to get there. I know it's crazy, and that's why I really love when I see people like uh, Guillermo del Toro comes to mind, where he's a real fanboy, and you know he admits that a lot of things that he works on now, you know, are projects that are, are exciting to him because of that, because he grew up with certain movies and things that he just he's so happy to have that, and and you'll hear that every now and then from particularly people in the production end. I feel like less than actors, more like you know, the directors and writers and people will say, you know, that they were starstruck when someone, you know, came to work for them on a show or they got to work with a particular actor. So we, I mean, I, I can't imagine how you could be in the business and not be a fan. Like, why right. would you, why would you do this? But I'll tell you that the epitome of the worst of it was I was, um, I was when Supernatural early in the earlier years, Jensen Eccles, who stars in Supernatural, was in a movie called Ten Inch Hero. And I had found out they were filming here in Los Angeles. And normally they they film their show in Vancouver. So I never have a chance to see them. And I um, tracked them down. It's very easy to find. If you have some clues, it's very easy to find the circus that is a movie crew. And I talked to what I didn't know at the time was the guy who was the head of the PAs. And I was like, you know, I, this is the movie and I heard Jensen's in the movie and he's like, yeah, he'll be here this afternoon. And I hung around and I went back to the guy later and said, like, is, I didn't see Jensen. You said he was coming. And he's like, literally, he's standing like two feet in front of you. And he was in, I don't know, in the movie, he's complete. He's got a mohawk. He looks completely different than he looks in real life or on the show. So he was literally standing <laughs> several feet and in front of me. And you didn't even know it. Wow. And I didn't know. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, he's standing like that in front of me. And um, because no matter how many times I've been on sets and talked to actors, I still get all like, yeah, that's so cool. But again, fate intervened. And a day later, seriously, one day later, I got a job working on the movie. <laughs> so I showed up for work and I said, who am I supposed to report to? And they said, Seth, and we'll call him for you. And it was the same guy. 
And he looked at me and he went, and I said, hi, you know, I'm Cynthia, I'm the, the new PA. And he very loudly in front of all the actors went, oh, you're that fangirl who's all crazy about Jensen and you're working for us now? <laughs> I was like, oh, I was so mortified. I was like, can I find, can I just slide into the sidewalk and not be here? And I was like, yeah, you know, and you try to blow it off. Like, oh yeah, you know, I, I like the work he does, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's tough. And what has been the best part about being a fangirl in your line of work? Has it been like, has it helped you at all in any way? I think I, again, it really does come down to those, the people I have, the people that I've met along the way have been amazing in strange ways. And I love to learn new things. So um, a lot of my early career was writing about stuff that people didn't want to cover, like special effects and stunts. I, I wrote about st um, stunt actors for Inside Kung Fu for many years. And a lot of people didn't want to talk to these guys, but they were so fascinating. Stunt people have the most amazing, like, zenness about them. And I learned so much about just living that kind of life and centering. Like, you know, if you're a guy who's going to jump off a you know, 20 story building, like, you got to have a certain mindset. <laughs> Oh, wow. so, yeah. and so they were amazing. And then other people, people that I, you know, would, the ones often that I thought were going to be really fascinating. I, I have run into a few actors who couldn't talk without a script in front of them, to be honest. And they're like, wow, that was surprising. But um, other people, they, I think because again, you go in thinking what you know about them from television and what you've read, and they have these other interests that are so amazing. Uh, I've probably said amazing like 900 times already. Sorry. Um, Fandom uh, is amazing. So you it say is. it how you want. <laughs> it is. I worked with, um, again, another classic actor that I had loved was Dwight Schultz from the A-Team. And some people know him from Star Trek Next Generation. And he does a lot of voice acting work. And um, he was a tough one. He didn't do interviews anymore in his life. And just again, a series, so much of how I got was a series of random events that came together he ended up agreeing to do an interview with me but said to me you're going to do the interview but you will come away with nothing you can use i promise you and i thought is that a threat like what is that, is that a a threat? A threat? <laughs> and i sat down with this man for probably about an hour i met him in person and he was the most fascinating human being I have ever spoken to. He's incredibly smart. He plays these wacky characters on TV. So people, I think, don't think that he has, you know, that he's overly intelligent. And he's very knowledgeable. And he was really into, like, UFOs and conspiracy. And um, Los Alamos, he had played Oppenheimer in, in a film. And he came to the interview with a stack of books that he wanted to show me and tell me that I needed to read in life. And he, he honestly sat in front of me and gave me an education in things that were fascinating that I carried with me after. And I did, I read the books he recommended and, and went down that rabbit hole. And I never, never would have even thought about these subjects if he hadn't so passionately said to me, you got to do this. And if you do, that was sort of his bargain. If you listen to me and tell me you're going to read these books, I will then tell you what you need to hear about Star Trek and all that. That's <laughs> that was so cool. Yeah, and this is the yeah. guy who plays Barkley, right? In Star exactly. Trek yes, it okay. Is. Yes, it is. All right. That's so yeah. cool. And like you said, that is a wacky character. That's very cool. 
Yeah, he's known for that. And, um, and, and I think that's part of the reason people don't take him all that seriously. And maybe the reason why he felt like he really wanted to put that first. He's like, I wanted you to know what I feel strongly about. And then I'll, and then, and then I'll answer the questions I know you have to ask because I was working for Star Trek magazines. It was like, right. Mm. So, that's so cool. Um, and so you mentioned um, writing for the Buffy magazine and Star Trek magazine. Uh, where, where have you, I guess, reported for? Oh my gosh, so many um, places. Well, again, magazines. This is part of the problem today. Is magazines have really, you know, just fallen off the shelves. There's so few left that cover uh, entertainment. Um, at the time when I was at the height, I was writing for, there was a, quite a few cult TV, especially a lot of British magazines. Um, the um, And then websites were starting to be very popular. And I wrote a lot for websites I can't even remember the name of, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Because I had, what generally would happen is I'd get an in on a show and then stick that stick with that show and then I was so I would sort of farm that out to anybody who wanted an article right. about that particular show or an interview with that person um and and then because I did a lot of stuff with Buffy and all I I did get started to get invited to a lot of things that were horror related and that led to some other opportunities it it was sort of that once you're kind of in it becomes it's sort of self fulfilling self starts rolling downhill right right um but then it was great. I got to go. So those from writing the articles, I was hired to write the Buffy um, pop quiz book, which was a licensed book on um, one of the, I guess about 30 or four seasons in on Buffy. And I have to tell you, that was another one of the highlights of my day. I got a box, huge box showed up on my doorstep and it was the script to every episode they had filmed up to that <gasps> point so that That's I could, amazing. I know, and I am a script collector. So I saw this, it was like, I looked around like, really? Wait, can I have these? <laughs> can I keep them? And um, I'm fangirling yeah. for you. It was. And so it was like, cause they wanted me to go through, have the scripts to make sure that I had all the trivia correct. So yeah, that was fun. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. And so then, and then you said you've written books for Supernatural as well. Um, kind of. Uh, so Supernatural was um, a little different. I did a lot of interviews with the cast and the crew for a variety of different uh, publications. And as a lot of times when you write for publication, you know, you can't use everything you get, um, especially when it's more of an article and less of like, you know, question and answer type. So I had a lot of information that never made it out to the public. So I put together a book a couple of years back, um, about halfway through Supernatural's run. So we called it the early years, revisiting the unedited version of these interviews that I had done with everybody. And it was really fun to see these actors. I, one of them is a an interview I had done with Misha Collins, who plays Castiel the Angel on Supernatural. And it was before his first episode had actually aired. Oh, and wow. he was he was doing the rounds. They had him doing interviews to get prepared for the episode to come out. And his whole interview is like, yeah, you know, I did some episodes and, you know, hopefully I'll stick around, you know, for a couple more, you know, maybe the rest of the season. And, you know, he was so like, yeah, you know, who knows where it'll go. And of course now they're what, 15 years. And yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was kind of fun to go back and go, yeah, that's not what he was saying back. He never, he would have never have imagined that at that when we did that interview that day that he would still be 
doing that show now. That's, That's amazing. Crazy. That's so cool. Um, so, you know, we talked a lot about kind of like uh, fandom and the importance of fandom to you and everything. And the rise of social media makes finding like-minded people in fandom possible in a way that wasn't available to previous generations. Um, has social media influenced your experience of fandom, either like in a positive, negative, or maybe both? Um, you know, it's funny. In some ways, I feel like it certainly um, it certainly opened up the ability for people to to get together in a way that never existed before. Like I said, having come in to this prior to the boom of the internet, let alone social media, um, finding like-minded fans was difficult in the least. But social has opened that up. Live Journal, for example, is was huge in changing how fanfic got delivered to people. Um, there were a lot of fanzines being printed, which were out of people's reach for they were quite costly. But Live Journal had this time period where fandoms were in there, uh, supernatural fandom just blossomed like crazy in there with people trading their their thick and their ideas and pictures and art and all these different things. So it really kind of helped everything grow. The downside is I feel like we've moved to very visual social media like Instagram and Tumblr. And as a result, we sort of abbreviated everything. If right. that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I, yeah. I feel like we're spending, it's more quick hits and less getting to know the people and, and discussion, I think, than it was before. Um, so I, I think that hurts a little bit. I, I kind of miss that discussion aspect that, that was happening more before social. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like everything's like appetizer sized right now, right? Like just, you know, <laughs> there's even, um, I think there's like a, a new type of like, I guess it's like a social media type network, but it's like movies that are like snackable eight minutes, nine minutes, and then that's it. And, or it'll be a series where every episode is like eight or nine minutes on QB. And it's, you know, it's something that's being promoted a lot right now where it's like, Oh, you can just watch really quick on the go. Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing that's really changed and, and it, it definitely, I think if I had tried to do what I did then now is the fact that actors are so much more accessible on social, particularly um, like I, I'm on Instagram a lot. And a lot of the people that I follow, they're on Instagram, you know, they're posting all the time. We can see them in their daily lives. They'll talk uh, Zachary Levi, who I just love, you know, we'll just sit and do these lengthy live chats where he'll just, he's sitting on his porch in, I don't know, Montana somewhere or something and just chatting with people. And um, we wouldn't have had that, you know, didn't have that opportunity in the past. So that's pretty cool that we have that ability to get to know them. Um, the sad side of that is I feel like maybe sometimes we feel like we know them better than we do, which can lead to a little bit of conflict when people you know, they feel like they've become friends with someone on social, but it's, they're not, you know, I don't know. That's, it's a, yeah. I, and you, also you know it's, a, it's just the pressure that comes from, you know, just for the actors themselves, there's gotta be so much more pressure now than there was before or before there was like this mystique to actors. You didn't really know everything about them. You'd wait for these magazines to tell you something more about them. And now it's like, you know, they've almost like just invited the world into their personal yeah. lives and anything that goes up or down in their lives, it's like it's shared with the world. And, 
And I can't imagine what that kind of um, pressure is like. So after, along with the writing I've done, I, I did finally get back into the other end where I worked on a lot of TV shows and movies, a little bit as an actor and some crew jobs and things like that. So I have this knowledge of the other side as well of the of the fandom coin. And um, I love TV production. I just love the whole idea of things, how things get made. And so um, when I had gone back to fiction writing, this the novel that I'd written recently, I was it has both sides of that coin. It has the fandom and it has the actors. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure I made a point of is the actors are at a convention and they're hyper aware of the fact that from the moment they step out on stage, everything they say is getting captured. You know, everybody's yeah. got a video camera in their cell phone and all of those things can be pulled out. So if they say something as a joke, but, all of that isn't captured, you know, someone edits that and puts that online, all of a sudden, it sounds like they said something horrible, you know, right. when really, it's just, you know, it, it's out of context. And so it's, um, it's a tough spot for them to be in, you know, they want to be open and accessible. They certainly there's, there's studios want this, it's really helps them sell shows and movies and things. But yeah, gosh, if they just look the wrong way, you know, it's everything, yeah. everything they do is captured and not just big stars. Yeah. You know, people, these cult TV stars that most people wouldn't even recognize. No, I, and I think you're right. And I think, you know, um, it's, it's so demanding. Like we demand so much, right. We want to know everything. We want to be part of their lives, but like, I think we have to remember to have empathy for them as well. And to remember that, you know, that these actors that, you know, they're performing, they're doing their job and maybe not have so much of the mentality of like, oh, well, they signed up for this. They wanted to be famous or whatever it is. Yeah, that is something we do hear quite a bit sometimes when these things go badly and people are like, well, but they knew what they were getting into. You know, eh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> no, yeah, maybe, not. <laughs> maybe they're still human and like, you know, we should have a little bit of empathy and compassion towards them. Definitely. Depending on the situation, obviously. Of course. <laughs> and so um, as far as fandom goes, you know, it's, it, it feels like it's ever changing. You know, it's definitely changed, you know, since you began in fandom. Um, what are your hopes for the fandom community, for fangirl communities in the future? Well, I think that on the on the good side, uh, and I, I would hope it would continue this way, it does certainly a lot of the fandoms I've been involved in are great outlets for people. They're lifelines for some people. And I, and, and I love that. And I, and I hope that certainly we'll continue with that. We've seen fandoms band together, you know, not just to save a show, but to raise money for charity, the supernatural fans, especially through Misha Collins' charities have raised, uh, gosh, probably millions, maybe billions of dollars in these years to um, put up an orphanage to, you know, help, from individuals all the way to large properties, things that are getting taken care of in, in countries that most of us will certainly never visit. But because we're doing it as part of that group, you know, people do, they just, they, they put the money down, they put the effort down and that's great. And I, and I do think that's one thing, again, the internet and that connection with the actors has helped us do is build these great relationships that are for the greater good. They're not just fun. You know, we're, we're doing something with it. Um, the downside that I'd like to see change is even with all this good, I do still see fangirls particularly being portrayed badly in, 
um, a lot of things. Again, I adore Supernatural, but their portrayal of fangirls, which they visited in several episodes, is embarrassing. And I'm surprised with the strength of their fandom that, and they're like, ah, we're just poking fun. But that's a lot of fun they're poking. It, you know, they, they, even they portray, you know, their fans as kind of these crazy um, girls who can't tell the difference between reality and fiction. And, um, and that's just silly. And, you know, we, we always make the comparison of, you know, the guy, the football fan who paints, you know, his face blue and sits, you know, in 20 degree weather with no shirt on so he can have a flag painted across his chest. And, and people are like, yay, you spent thousands of dollars to go to the Super Bowl. That's great. But you spend thousands to go to a convention. People look at you like you're nuts still, you know? Right. So, and, yeah. yeah. That's something we definitely work on, at least on, you know, our web series, Portrait of a Fangirl. We try really hard to kind of break that stereotype because I feel like that's one of the main ways that fangirls are portrayed is like screaming girl. And, you know, don't get me wrong. There are screaming fangirls yeah. <laughs> out there and that's fine. That's how they express themselves. And that's great. But there is a lot of different ways in which, um, you know, fangirls do portray are you know, and so hopefully I, I'm there with you. Hopefully that will change in the future. Yeah. And I think that we're certainly getting there. Uh, again, it's about showing that it's all kinds, you know, it isn't a specific type of person. I don't know that it ever was if I don't know where that sort of came from. I, I think it that people who are maybe a little more introverted tend to fall into fandom because it's a way that they can enjoy this without, you know, having to, like I said, be a football fan in a crowd with thousands of people. But, um, you know, but I still think it's, there's so many different people and that's what I keep learning. And every fandom I get into, there's just this variety of people with from different backgrounds and we can all learn from each other, you know, so much. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Today, I learned that Rob Zombie is a big Doctor Who fan. Ooh, see, <laughs> there's that, see, that's that closet fandom thing again, you know, people who, there's probably so many more people who are fans of things that don't, <laughs> don't yeah. make it clear. <laughs> My feeling is people who don't have aren't fans of something, whether it be television, movies, or even sports, what do they do with their lives? <laughs> You have to love something, right? Yeah, anything. It's like, what do you love? I, I look around. I am surrounded where I'm sitting by. I couldn't even begin to count. There are hundreds of pieces of television mem and movie memorabilia. I have movie posters on the wall and Funko Pops, Supernatural and Battlestar and everywhere around me and all this stuff all over my desks and things. And I have relatives who do who come over and they look around and they go, hmm. Interesting. In your living room, huh? <laughs> I feel that so much. <laughs> I know how that is. And, you know, I've done a decent job of keeping the fandom out of my living room because I don't want to get those comments. Not because I don't want it in there. But so my bedroom, which should be like a place of like couple haven or whatever, is just like Funko Pops galore everywhere. And I just go. don't even have room for anything anymore. <laughs> Like I said, I can't even imagine what it, I would I would go nuts if I had to strip all this out of here. I'd be like, where's my stuff? Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any tips or advice for people who want to pursue pursue your line of work? Um, I would say that if you're passionate 
about it and you're willing to put in the work because that's I think the part where people fall down um you just got to go for it I I think that a lot of people think that it would be really great to spend their day you know inside whatever their their fandom happens to be but the caveat of that is when it becomes work it sometimes takes the fun out of it. There there was definitely a period where I was spending so much time, especially like at conventions, rushing to get these interviews and then having to get them transcribed and done and things that I would come away and realize I didn't even enjoy, like, I don't even remember being there. And because you're just so under that pressure to get it done and move forward. And, and what if I miss this or forget that? And so you'd, you're going to lose a certain amount of the relaxed joy <laughs> say that comes with being a fan if you're good with that um then you know you just got to try you just got to put it out there and you have to keep plugging away whether it be writing or you know creating art or you know all these fantastic fans who do all kinds of projects and things they sell on etsy um and if you've got a niche that helps i mean if if you getting up tomorrow and saying you know i'm gonna go get an interview from the top actors on the hottest rated show, it's probably not going to happen. So you got to be willing to start working your way up and get in where you can get in. Like I said, my, my begin was this, these stunt players, like I said, I, nobody wanted to interview them. I loved it. And, you know, I had a chance to interview um, Jet Li, who I know isn't as big now, but you know, he was a huge action star. It was probably the biggest name at the time that I'd ever interviewed. And, um, and, you know, because I built my way up, interviewing people that uh, maybe, you know, weren't my first choice, I ended up, you know, on the set of Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I came in through their stunt guy. So, you know, you just, you got to find that path and you just got to stick with it. That is excellent advice. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Really appreciate that. Where can people find you on social media, online? Um, where can they look for you if they want to know more? <sighs> I'm everywhere um i do have a very minimal at this point website at cynthiaboris.com um i probably hang out most on instagram these days i've really learned to love it I, I do post every day and i do some videos so you can always see what's going on with me there i'm also cynthia boris on instagram and then over on amazon if you pop my name in over there you'll find all my books uh that i've written and new ones coming up so you can if you're a reader you can find me over there Excellent. Thank you so much. We're really grateful to have you on. It was really nice to talk to you today. You too. It was great fun. Always good to find kindred spirits of all kinds. Right? <laughs> well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Temple Geek Podcast. Want to check out some of our other episodes? Head over to templegeek.com. There you can find all sorts of things that pertain to the world of geek. My name is Monica. Thank you for everybody who's tuned in today. And thank you again for being on the show. It's great. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Temple of Geek. And remember to visit templeofgeek.com. Your one stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.